Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Mick Manhattan. Now, if you're not familiar with who Mick is, you need to be familiar with who Mick is. Mick's a really cool dude that I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the last few months and, and had an opportunity to work with him a little bit with my other show, Funny Science Fiction. Uh, he's allowed me to be a guest on, on one of his shows. Now, Mick helps run, or does run rather, I should say, the Scene Snobs Network. And Mick himself is, in fact, the... Hakuna Matata, the big guy, uh, he is the scene snob. So we're very, we're very glad to have him here. Now we're we're not going to talk so much about his podcast. We will talk about that at the end. But first and foremost, we want to uh, talk about the issues that Mick has gone through in his life, how he's overcome them, and how he has become in his life focused on forward. So Mick, thank you for being here today. Thank you for uh, for uh, being willing to share your story. Uh, Tim, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity and it's a great show that you have. Uh, and the things like this, uh, you know, where you, again, like the title says, focus on forward is a big help for people. Mental health is so important. Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're always happy to be able to share somebody's story. And if, you know, my my running line for this has been is if, if per episode, if we can get one person that it touches that it matters to, then I've done my job. You know, yeah. and so that's that's all I want is I want to be able to help people and show them that they're not alone in their issues and that they can move forward. Absolutely. And, you know, you've even inspired me to even come on and talk about stuff. So, like, you know, if I can help, you know, you know like you said, even one person, you know. Awesome. So that's what I'm here for. <laughs> all right. Well, excellent. Well, when you're ready and you're comfortable, please tell us the story of Mick Manhattan. Uh, all right. Well, um it's not the overly interesting story, but uh, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, Jersey City, um, to be precise. I'm a son of a police officer and a banker. Uh, she was a bank teller for a long time, my mother. And, uh, you know, they both had two jobs, you know, you know, as we grew up, we were latchkey kids. I have two older brothers from my father's previous marriage and a younger sister who is, you know, with my, you know, my mother. Um, so we grew up dirt poor <laughs> in Jersey City, two bedroom apartment, all six of us, uh, sometimes seven or eight of us, depending on who else needed a place to stay. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we were right in the middle of the ghetto, which honestly, I've always loved. I always loved living in cities. I've always loved the closeness of where I grew up. Uh, you just, you knew everybody in in the city you knew like everybody hung out on the stoop stuff like that yes of course there's crime of course there's i'm glorifying the beauty of it you know uh in a city there's just always feels some sort of like community that just i haven't found everywhere uh i i don't call it glorifying i call it finding the silver lining 
That's a yeah, that's a great way to put it. I, I didn't think of it like that, but I think I'm gonna start thinking of it like there that. There you go. Um, I love that. Um, yeah, and uh, so we just we grew up there. Um, I, I we moved to the suburbs. I want to say when I was. 13 i want to say this i forget ages of like uh about that um you know so to kind of give you that rundown moved to the suburbs uh in central jersey uh stayed there for a while until i guess about 24 um and then i just i left i went to uh florida to go to film school went to film school from there moved out moved to new york city moved to la I uh, started working in film industry for a long time. Uh, I had a death in the family and I came back to New Jersey to kind of help out with fa uh, family stuff there. Um, and, uh, you know, after that, I was kind of changed things up. I wasn't doing filmmaking as much. I um, went into digital marketing and then eventually got into podcasting. That's why I'm in Virginia now. I've been here for the past seven years. Love it down here. I love Virginia. Uh, so I couldn't see myself like moving anywhere else uh, outside of here. Um, and that's what brings me to here. Now, of course, there's more to that story. That's a very abridged version, you know, but um, we're OK with cliff notes. Yeah, yeah, I, I will. That's yeah. I just wanted to kind of bring everybody up to date, like where that is. But I grew up in a very Irish Catholic family uh, for in, in North Jersey. That's uh, yeah, that's pretty. There's movies, plenty of movies and books about it, but it's it's a strict household. You know, you, you live life a certain way, but when it comes to drinking, <laughs> you are, you know, it's almost expected of you at, at a point, I want to say jokingly, but, um, you know, we I grew up around a lot of alcoholism. Uh, I grew up in a abusive household um, in a situation where, it wasn't, it, I was more the target than anyone else. Uh, my mother and I were the targets. Uh, my brothers, my sister were, were not. Um, I'm still not very close with my family. Uh, I have, we've talked on and off, but for the past year, I haven't heard from any of them, except for my one brother who lives here in Virginia as well. Okay. So uh, I've dealt with alcoholism in the past myself. I'm also diagnosed, uh, manic depressant uh and bipolar uh i've kind of i've struggled with it for a long time and i thought i could keep it under control uh and i found when i became a father that changed my outlook on a lot of things so Understood, yeah yeah I, I i've been very much trying to learn more about mental health and and seeking professional help like talking to therapists and things like that just to, you know, I'm in a good place, even going, I'm glad I was in as good a place once I connected with the therapist, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I swear by it now. It's just, it, especially after the year we've all been through. Oh, yes, yes. You know, I, I just, it's helped with so many problems. And, you know, I, I didn't go to meetings, I didn't go to meetings for my alcoholism. It was, I, I was actually very fortunate with my alcoholism. I started drinking at 14 going to the bar at 15 like okay. riding <laughs> like i was a very tall kid uh so like and i knew in the, in our little town i knew everybody who owned the bar so it was kind of like they thought it was more fun to have the drunk 15 year old hanging out at the bar than oh gotcha okay uh so it was just a small town small working town so like you, you really weren't going to get in much trouble you know in that realm 
Um, so I took to that and I drank for a long time. Uh, I was, I guess until about the last time I got drunk was about a month after I met my wife. Uh, you know, we were dating at the time. Uh, I went out with my brother. We got, got real hammered. Uh, and that was the first hangover I ever had. And that was like, now nah, that'll, that'll cure you. That I couldn't do it. And I, I, if I had felt this at like 18 or 19, it probably would have been a similar, still drinking probably, but uh, it, it probably would have been like, maybe not as much as I used to. But once I first felt it, I was like, yeah, this is, I don't know how anybody, and now I know why my father was so pissed off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't feeling good. Well, yeah, but once I had a son, my entire outlook changed. I like I would still have drinks after that. I just want to get drunk. But after that, I just I was like, I'm done. I I don't want another drink again because I don't want them to grow up seeing what I saw. Sure. And I, they're definitely not going to see what I saw in terms of like how I treat them. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, just it was always a big uh, deal you know, for me to make sure my kids aren't going through the same steps that I was. So it's a, it was a process for sure. Um, I did, because uh, my father was an alcoholic, a severe alcoholic, my brother was a severe alcoholic. Uh, they were both abusive to me growing up. Uh, I never really truly understood why working through with a therapist, it's, it's kind of come to fruition. Maybe it's more, it was more jealousy you know, but I'll never truly know because I, they'll never truly admit it. Um, so I, for me, I was always like, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be better than this. So it was almost like a stubbornness on my end, which is, I'm very good for. And anybody who knows an Irish Catholic from Jersey, <laughs> stubbornness comes with the package <laughs> for sure. But yeah, that's um, kind of where, you know, where it's at. I never got into drugs though. Uh, you know, I've tried some, I just, I have a very, I have a very strong problem with losing my faculties. I have a fear, a big fear of it. Um, I can appreciate that. I think that's why The Shining scares me as much as it does. <laughs> I equate a lot to movies, so you guys will have to excuse me on that. Um, that's fair. I equate a lot to music in life, so I understand that. Yeah, well, movies were my escape. I, you know, I got to, you know, mm-hmm. like when I was growing up, like I was the one that my father did not like. And I was was the one he took a lot out on my mother seeing that would take me to work, you know, where she worked at the bank, but there's a movie theater upstairs. So, so she would take me to work and she'd say, go to the movie theater. She was friends with the guy who ran it. And I would just sit there and watch movies all day. So that was like, that was like where I got my love of him. And it was my big escape from like everything. So well, that makes sense. Okay. So, so let's, let's talk about the emotional uh, aspect of this and how it affected you as, as a young man, seeing uh, the abuse firsthand, being the brunt of the abuse as well. How did that affect you emotionally with your relationships inside of the family? It was, I never understood. I always like fought for my father's admiration. My brothers were like, could do no wrong you know it, it, it always boggled my mind because i had two brothers and a younger sister all have been 
either arrested or brought home by cops at different times. All have been causing trouble for a long time, really got into alcoholism. Uh, you know, like, I'm not saying I didn't, but like, I was very fortunate. And, you know, I think because of the experiences I was having to say, I know what alcohol can do, whereas they mm-hmm. do. Uh, and it, you know, they turn it around and, um, but the, for me, it was still like, I was the, for lack of a better term, black sheep, the way I was being treated. And my father was a patriarch of the, fam- the whole family. So people went for to him when he needed, they needed things. So it was, you know, kind of like nobody was going to go against it. It just was what it was. Um, and then my mother turned it around because she was she was abused too uh, by him. When he quit drinking, my father, he became, he still was very hard on me, but he uh, she flipped the script and became very powerful dynamic, the alpha in the family, okay. um, which a lot of people was just you know it's hard to even kind of grasp that like how does somebody go from abuse to he listens to everything she says and now she's the matriarch and everybody listens to her she just took over when she did that we lost a big connection because she you know we were always very close because we were kind of going through it together right okay she became she i think she felt like she had to become colder so uh you know just to kind of be that alpha and so you know still connected she's still my mother but it was very cold relationship after that. So yeah, there was a, there was a marked difference there for sure. Yeah. And I don't think I was ready for that. Cause I was like more towards my teenage years. Um, and I was, you know, I was often told like, I was not liked, I was not, I was, you know, just more trouble than I'm worth. So emotionally dealing with that and then watching, you know, brothers who would steal cars, who would be out spray painting, who would be out doing things. Um, and they're getting the, like the admiration really like took a toll on me. And it just, it kind of fueled me and my stubbornness to say, I'm getting the hell out of here. You know, okay. I don't want to. And that's why I ultimately ended up like traveling around a lot in my twenties and just be like, I'm out of here. Like I'm going to go live my life and kind of be on my own. So, okay. and then when I came back and, <laughs> you know, so a, a lot of people that I've talked to who who grew up around alcoholism and abuse uh, also deal with a sense of abandonment issues, a uh, feeling of abandonment, a feeling of of uh, lesser worth. Now, clearly, the, the second half of that, the, the feeling of lesser worth, uh, is something that you that you struggled with. You you talked about that how you were repeatedly told you weren't worth the the hassle, the effort. Um, but did you have to struggle with abandonment issues as well? Did you feel abandoned at all uh, in your younger years? I felt taken care of because they were very, my family was very much like they sent us to Catholic school. Like they had a, they had a view of like what they wanted. So I did felt feel taken care of, but as in terms of a closeness, uh, having relationship with, uh, I don't know if I would classify it as abandonment, but it was definitely okay not there so i always felt i felt an alone feeling from everybody else like my mother's side of the family were hardcore bullies growing up like oh okay, yeah uh still are to this day 
uh, to the point where I have nothing to do with them. Um, and because I was the firstborn grandchild uh, in that on that side of the family, um, I, I don't know why I was like a target for them, you know. Uh, and their you know their name is like a big deal for them. And I, I don't want to put that out on the show or anything, you know. Like, oh, no, that's fine. Have theirs, but. Um, you know, their name is a very big deal for them because my name was different. My last name was different. I caught a lot from that. You know, I like I was even considered after my grandparents passed away, it was, you're not really a member of the family. You know, you're, you're kind of here. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, now I'm an adult man. You know, like what you're telling me this now. I have um, an odd approach to take, but it, it, it really is like, it's something I have not grasped mentally. And I think I've always kind of uh, comforted myself by saying, like, because I'm not like them, maybe I can't grasp that. You know, I've, I've never wanted to be a bully. I've never wanted to treat people or be condescending or treat them or bring people down. Um, and I don't understand how they got that way because my grandparents were not like that. My grandparents were like very much build you up, lift you up. Sure. Um, well, to, I, I'm speaking as their grandson, not their child. So, um, right. I, well, yeah. that's how they were for me. Uh, very supportive of like, you know, my life of wanting to be in filmmaking and things like that. So, you know, which okay. I can't say about a lot of families. All right. Well, let's also talk about, you mentioned the need for counseling and I, I wanted to kind of zero in on this, uh, because now having gone through counseling myself, I'm a very much a pro advocate of, of counseling. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is because uh, in our society, you know, as a man, you're just supposed to suck it up, you know, just suck it up, move along. Um, you know, one of the things I used to tell my kids as they were growing up, and I regret having said this, but I would always tell them, suck it up, you're a hockey player. You know, it didn't matter what was going, none of us were hockey players, by the way. Um, but, you know, because that was what my, my thoughts were as to, you know, how, how to make them tough and strong was, you know, and I feel bad because I even said that to my daughter at times, hey, suck it up, you're a hockey player. Um, you know, trying to toughen them up a little bit, not realizing that in a lot of ways, I wasn't validating the feelings that they were going through and some of the emotions that needed validation at that point. But, okay, so I told you that to tell you this, uh, but uh you know, I was thinking that, you know, when it comes to counseling, uh, with, like I said, with the way that, that society sees things, was it difficult for you to start counseling or did, did you have to kind of like work your way into it? Because for myself and using my, my own story here, uh, when we came out of the hospital with my daughter, I had to recognize what was, you know, what was needed and what was done. And it took my wife months to be able to convince me that counseling was a necessary, a necessary thing because I thought by going to counseling, I was admitting a weakness on my own behalf. I very much similar. Uh, and a big reason for this is, uh, is because of like, I no longer just to kind of go back a little bit. I no longer talk to my family at all. I had to cut them off. Um, okay. And I thought that was what was best for like my kids and things like that. So like I completely cut them off uh, after some issues after uh, go send back about a year ago. Um, and so getting into therapy, I started going to see a uh, marriage counselor uh, with my wife. And the reason we started doing that is because 
for a long time I've had, I had like a certain attitude in my, I was letting my depression and my bipolar uh, tendencies uh, kind of like get the best of me. And it was putting a strain on our marriage and we both talked about it and she was like, I'd really like to sit down and just talk to somebody and just because, you know, she, she's like 2020, you know, with everything going on and with everything going on with us, like, let's just sit down and talk to somebody. So that was like my first window into therapy. You know, I've, I've had tried it before, but it, again, like you said, the stigma, you know, I'm a man, I, I got to deal with my own problems. Right. But my wife requesting it, I was like, you know, I, I love her. I want to make this work. Um, so of course, mm-hmm. yeah, let, I'm, I'm going to try things for her, but also it was a, it was, it was almost like a, uh, what would my father do? And when I would think about it and I say, well, he wouldn't do this. I was like, well, then I'm definitely going to do this. <laughs> and I know that's, that sounds so bad, but yeah, I just, I kind of had to have that, you know, not to say I never had a good moment with my father. I have, you know, there, there's always, but if I can count them on one hand and the bad times are countless. Yeah. You, I get where you're going. You, you get a feel for it. So, so my feelings on it were like, if he won't do this, I should do this because I love my wife. I want to be there. I want to be supportive. Uh, and we were doing it for a while and it wasn't clicking with me. And because it wasn't clicking with me, I think things were coming more stress between she and I. And because we would do the meetings and it just felt like I was going through the motions. So I was like, I can't wait till the clock is done and we're just done with this meeting. I understand then, that feeling. Yeah. And she said to me, she was like, you know what? She goes, this isn't working because you're not working. And we got into a fight. We got into a bad fight. And, you know, we, she went up to bed and I was just kind of downstairs and thinking about it. And I started reading this article she had sent to me um, about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. If anybody, you know, especially relationship oriented uh, marriage and such, um, it's written by John Gottman, uh, fantastic uh, doctor who deals in uh, marriage counseling, things like that. Okay. And what it is, is, is four things that uh, couples can do that are definitely a, a, a surefire sign of divorce is coming. And it's uh, contempt, uh, defensiveness, uh, stonewalling, and I'm now I'm drawing, of course, I'm drawing a blank on the fourth one now, and it's only four. Um, I will think of it. But the, okay. any one of those four things in a marriage can lead is almost like ninety percent sure to lead to divorce, if that's how you handle things. So, I'm reading this article. They are talking about these th- four things, and I'm like, there has to be something to, like, an antidote for this, because I recognize this in our relationship, and I recognize a lot of it coming from me. So, I started seeing that, and I was like you know, I, I was like, I need to find the antidote. So I went on YouTube and I, you know, on Google and I just, I start researching, especially John Gottman. And then I found um, a lot of seminars with him where he talks about the, the fixes. Cause he's like, you know, just cause this is happening, it may be a 90% sure way of doing it, but you can turn it around. And, you know, he's been doing this for 40 years and I was like, all right, well, I'm in, let's, let's see what he has to say. And everything he said just started clicking. And it was just, I don't know what opened up over just that one night. I watched like seven or eight videos. I read a bunch of articles and I just was like, 
I want to make this work. I was like, I don't know what it was. It just, it was that thing. It was like the light switch, switch flipped. And I was like, man, I do do this to my wife. And I was like, she's the love of my life. Like, I, I, I need to fix everything about this. So from then on in, and when that click happened, and I, then I went into surgery, into surgery, therapy, uh, not surgery. Um, yeah, so I went into our, our marriage counseling ther- uh, appointment, the next one. And it was like a different world. Even the therapist was like, you are on point. You know this, that. And, and weeks after, she was like, yeah, you're really bringing up a lot. You're reading these books. It, it really has clicked. I mean, my wife was like, you've changed so much. Uh, I was like, I know. I was like, I want to. I want to follow these guidelines because I don't want to be anything else but this person for you. So with that click, it clicked to me. I need that click myself and things that are happening internally with me um and so i went and saw a therapist myself and it hasn't clicked yet but it makes me feel so much better to go and i know it's coming i know that change is coming because uh my therapist's been very helpful with me uh and i like the fact that he's he's the type you know i did my research and he's the type of therapist that isn't just listening to me and expecting me to get there on my own, but does talk back and forth and tries to help bring it out of me. And very much yeah. reminds me kind of like this, like, you know, podcasting. Yeah. So it's very helpful. And he takes the extra steps, you know, like after our second uh, appointment, he was like, Hey, I checked out the scene snobs and I wanted to learn more about you. You know, and I, you know, I saw that's cool. So therapy like if you can find the right therapist and that's one thing i'll say uh you know and since then i see another one too i see a behavioral specialist to help me you know with certain issues like i didn't even know we're there like i'm doing evaluations and i'm like talking about my child and i'm like i forgot this happened you know <laughs> like you're going down this list and it's like wow i can't even I, it was like these all happen and now it's in the forefront and there's things locked away i didn't even remember happened to me you know yeah, it's imp- it's impressive what a good therapist can do to help. Yeah. You know, um, I think for me, one of the biggest things that I discovered with therapy uh, was once I actually tried. Because you you mentioned this that you know your therapist said, well, is, or was it your wife rather that uh, you're not you're not trying. That's why this isn't working. Yeah. And uh, actually, my the person who said that to me was my therapist. She said, well, you know, if you if you would engage a little more this, you know, and actually, you know, open up, she says, you, you'll be surprised what you find. I think that was on like my second visit. Because, you know, in my mind, therapy was going in, laying down on a couch and telling them why I didn't get the right bike when I was 12. And, you know, and, and all that. And that's not what therapy is. It's, you know, you go in, and you sit down and you talk just like you and I are talking right now. And, and you're right, a good therapist is going to point out other areas where you can look at different things and, you know, well, have you looked at it from this angle and what, you know, so there's feedback. Uh, And, you know, and that was, it was nice because then I stopped looking at counseling as, and you said it earlier, you, you thought you misspoke, but it wasn't, you called it surgery. It is surgery. We're, 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 you know, we're cutting things out of our minds that we don't need to have these negative emotions and feelings and things like that. And so just as you would, wouldn't trust, you know, uh, an unqualified surgeon to cut out, you know, cut open your knee. 
when you're dealing with therapy, it's surgery for our, our brains and our emotions. So we want to make sure that we have a qualified therapist for that as well. But uh, you know, I always say that we got very lucky. Our, our therapist, I haven't talked with her in a couple months. I, I was actually just talking with my wife that maybe that's something I need to go back and do again. Uh, kind of circle back. There's some other things I need to address. Uh, things that, you know, a couple months removed where I thought I had things, thought I had it knocked, uh, but I don't. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's life. You know, I, I feel like that's life. That's always going to be, I know I'm always going to have things that are going to come up. Um, sure. You know, a friend inspired me too last year. He, he was going through a tough time and he was getting angrier and angrier and he couldn't understand why. Uh, and we host a show together and he actually said on the show, he's like, I just want to say, you know, I've been seeing a therapist and it's really been helping with a lot of things. And one of the things that's made me want to do is thank people more. And like he was thanking me for doing a show with him and, and being a friend. And that, that was one thing that clicked with me too. was just like, yeah, you know what? Like if it helps this much and makes you feel this good and you know, the way he's explaining it, there should be absolutely no reason why. Yeah, absolutely. Or against it. Yeah, I, and I think too, like we mentioned earlier, uh, there is such a stigma around mental health and mental health awareness. And, uh, and unfortunately, especially with men, um, we don't need to be that big, tough 1920s gangster. You know, you know that's what we think in our minds, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, it was kind of funny. And I, and I tell this story, I, I haven't, I don't think I've ever told it on air. But so my daughter's uh, rehabilitative doctor, we were in talking with him one night. And uh, when we got done with her appointment, he asked for everyone else to leave the room except for me. And he just looked at me and said, says, Tim, are, are you okay? And I went, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, because you don't act fine. You act like someone who's fighting depression. You act like someone who needs to talk about the things that are on their mind. And I was like, yeah, I don't need therapy. And he's, you know, it's funny because, and then he addressed everything that I was afraid of. You know, he's like, you're not going in there to lay down on a couch. You're not, you know, getting going in there to just discuss your feelings. You know, there, there's, it's an actual discussion if you get the right therapist. So it was kind of interesting. And if it wouldn't have been for him, uh, I don't know that I would have agreed to, because not that I don't respect my wife and or her opinions or, or things like that, but I think uh, in that unfortunate macho side of my brain, I don't know that I could have uh, accepted it as quickly or as easily. Because even I say quickly, even though it took her about three months to get to that, get me to that point. Um, I think I needed to hear it from somebody else other than my wife. You know, and, and sometimes, and I know a few other folks that way. But you know, so like I said, I can't, I can't advocate uh, enough for for therapy and, and what it can do. But let's not make this about me. This is about Mick Manhattan. So well, actually, I want to ask one question to you because I, yeah, I, I felt that way as well. I think when my wife would bring it to me, I did want to do the therapy for her, but I, I think it didn't click at first because, um, again, I don't want my wife to see me as weak. You want right. to be the strong person for your wife mm -hmm. and, kids and everything else. And I'm, I wonder if maybe that's why it was like, no, I'm fine. Like, it's always going to be, and I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, be her asking me and like your wife asking you, you almost have to just deny it. Right. You know, it's just that it's that alpha male thing. that. I oh think. yeah. Yeah. I think it goes back to the not wanting to admit weakness. 
we, yeah. you know, um, you know, <laughs> how, whatever structure you believe in, you know, some people believe in evolution, some people believe in creation, some people believe in, you know, combination of the both, but, you know, I, I think there's been, uh, you know, there's a time period where, you know, as a man, if you admitted any weakness, you were, you weren't seen even as the alpha male, the beta male, the, whatever the letter Z is, you know, the Z male, you weren't even on the, you weren't even on the list. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that still carries through, through a lot of people's brains that if I admit that I have, it's not even admitting weakness that I need some help to correct some things. And that's what, that's what, you know, both my wife and the doctor said to me before I went to counseling was that, it's not admitting a weakness. It's admitting that you need help to carry the burden. You know, that you can that you, willing to be, be willing to accept the help, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that that's a lot of it right there. It's just that as men, we don't want to admit that. We don't want to admit that we can't be that strong man in our household that, you know, that you saw your dad or your grandpa as, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, I think for me too, because again, he was, uh, he's, uh, was he's always an alcoholic i mean that's just that's how it works but uh, he's recovered uh and when i was a teenager he gave up drinking and now other vices came into play because it's, it's tough addiction is a tough thing to overcome and i got to see up front the vulnerability of the man trying to change i don't think he liked that i don't think he wanted to feel that way but i did get to, i got to personally see him and his vulnerability of trying to change the alcoholism, especially after years and years of a stigma from his parents, uh, well, his father, his brothers, you know, his uncles, things like that, like who are men's men, and that's how it was. Uh, and you drank a, a drink after work. But when he gave up drinking, you know, he found he he became closer to God. You know, and uh, you know, he found religion in his own way, and that's. My big thing is, you know, respect what people believe in as long as it's not hurting anybody else. And if that helped him find it, um, I didn't, I think when I was starting to find a way out of not drinking, especially having kids and stuff like that, like, I think his change, and I've seen him slip through the years uh, and go back, but then kind of come back from it and keep trying. And especially work he's done in with, uh, you know, become a sponsor and, uh, you know, to other members in AA uh, and things like that. Like one of the big things, like, especially with the scene snobs, if I can help is helping end stigma of alcoholics because alcoholics, like one of the most famous jokes uh, from Mitch Hedberg, who was a great comedian um, was alcoholism is the only disease you can get yelled at for having. And it's true. It's, it is a disease. And I think, yeah, it may cause problems, but like, a lot of times people overlook like that it is a problem and yeah I, I try to be outspoken about that and be more open well that's I, good that's good I, I it's it's certainly a monster that many people don't understand the weight that that places on somebody that weight that addiction places not only on that person but on that person's entire family and how it affects everyone so okay so let's Let's ask a couple questions. I like to ask every single guest that comes on our show. So the first question is, looking back over the experiences of your life, what is the greatest lesson that you've learned? Um, 
I want to say respect vulnerability. People do not like to be vulnerable at any time. They do not like to come off vulnerable, but it's going to happen. Um, and one thing I've learned from all of this is, you know, show respect during that, show some compassion, um, and just be willing to not judge, you know, people who are feeling that. And another big one for me is, uh, I, 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 tell, I tell myself this, so it may not make much sense because I, I made it up, uh, is everybody's going to have memories, good or bad. So I try to be a good one in people's lives every day. I like um, it. You know, so like that's, that's, that's my, so if I have to make that decision when I'm around somebody, uh, I try to, and I know I haven't always been a good memory. In people's, uh, well, it's not always, it's not always going to happen. It's not always going to work, but the fact that you're conscious of it and you're trying, I think is a good step. Yeah. So, I mean, that's things I've taken away because like I do have a lot of bad memories and, you know, with people I care about. So I would like to change that by being a good memory in people's lives. Awesome. Okay. Now, the second question is pretty similar to the first one. I, they they kind of go hand in pocket. Looking back over your life, what's the greatest single piece of advice that you were given? I, you know, my grandfather had a saying, um, he, uh, he would say, you were born and given one thing when you, uh, you're given one thing when you're born, and that's a name. So make it a good one. And so going through that always, and my father always said that he, it was just something he lived by. Um, and again, like my father is a good man. He just, sometimes there were not such good things. So like, I, I hate, I don't want to trash either of them as in they're not good charitable people. They are. I'm just not one of those people that they <laughs> particularly uh, enjoyed being around. Um, so with that, I take that advice and that's another thing, like with being a good memory, uh, I do try to make a good name for myself. All right. I think that's very solid. I like both of those. All right, Mick. So we've talked about the scene snobs a little bit. We've mentioned the scene snobs here uh, off and on throughout your story. But tell everybody uh, who's at home listening or in their cars listening what the scene snobs is and, and what's your role. Uh, I am the creator of the scene snobs. Uh, it started, it actually started January 1st, 2013. It started as Movies 365. Uh, I was going to watch a new movie never seen before, or not new, but like a movie I've never seen before and review it on Facebook every day for a year. That did not work that well. Um, <laughs> and then I quickly, I turned it into, you know, uh, uh, the scene snobs because that was available <laughs> as a website. And I was just reviewing movies for a long time. Um, and, you know, I got into podcasting and such. So, uh, you know, I had a few successful podcasts that did well. And I was uh, very proud of them. But they all fell apart. And I was never a producer of them. I was always just on the mic. And I did some marketing for them. Seeing Snobs came around and I had this chance. And I said, you know, I'm going to create something for me that... Uh, I want to help others. I want it to be kind of a hodgepodge open to a lot of people, like build this channel uh, and in, or network of uh, great shows where people can just come on and talk about all walks of life. But I also see that a lot of these networks 
are charging all of these podcasts. And my biggest thing was these are indie podcasts. These are people who are, you know, coming in. I, I don't want anything from them. You know, I don't, I don't want to build off of their hard work. Right, so right. we, I want to build a community where we all work together and that's what's happening. We, we, we're at 20 shows right now. We have six more joining up, um, you know, or premiering soon. And yeah, it's just, it's become this huge thing where we have like three or four shows a night, uh, you know, every day we're, we're going and it's, it's we're going to build it out. It's going to be a 24 seven channel, you know, adding great shows all the time that are just, you know, beneficial to people like, like shows like this or shows like, uh, you know, we have Jeff Dwoskin crossing the streams where he talks about TV, but then you turn around, we have another new podcast joining up called today in space podcast, my friend, Alex, and he's a aerospace engineer. He's going to come on and talk about science, scientific, uh, things if you will well, that's cool all right yeah, it's like, you know there's and then you have uh, some nobodies with talking upstream and twitching upstream where they're so great with the writing process of how they do things and yeah very creative fellows so like things like that i want people to come on and be able to see the scene snobs and you can be entertained with comedy you can be entertained with like absurdity uh or you can be entertained with knowledge and education you know so that's that's what really what is uh, working towards and what we're trying to become. So uh, all right, it's been a great ride so far. Yeah, and I can speak for the quality of the shows that you have on there. Um, I've been very impressed with uh, some of the guys and their shows, and uh, all the ones that you just mentioned are all ones that I follow and listen to and and pay attention to. Not that, of course, not the uh, the new space guy one, but uh, I haven't heard, seen that one yet. But I'm excited for yeah. him to get to get going and get started and see. You, see what that's all about so all right so uh we're now we've talked about it but uh where can people find you well you can uh the scene is the best place to go that has our full schedule on our show i host about five of the shows now we have i host the scene snobs podcast tuesday nights at nine uh i host btb podcast with some friends which is just movie talk uh on wednesday nights at 7 30 those are my live shows. I also have a horror podcast starting called the Final Onesies Horror Podcast, where we all wear onesies and talk horror movies. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's uh, premiering next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so it's so strange, but it's yeah, it's 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 fun. You gotta have the okay. So there's I, that. I jumped right in. I was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll, I'll find. I'm six eight, so I have to find a, a onesie that would fit me. Oh, there is um, that as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I host the Scene Snobs interviews where it's an interview show. I talk to different uh, people working in the entertainment industry. The Showcase, uh, which I, that is a show where I try to just basically showcase uh, independent talent. I bring them on so that way they can, you know, if they have a movie coming out or they're musicians or, or whatever else, they can come on the show. It's live and they can, it's a talk show. They can talk about their stuff and kind of shine a light on the indie uh, side, side of things and uh, I have kid meets old school coming up which is my son and I and I will be introducing him to uh, our first episode is I, I introduce him to escape from New York which is a uh, personal favorite and we'll talk about that but then there's going to be every few episodes old guy meets new school there you go so I will be learning about video games and movies and things like that from his generation. There you go. A little cross education. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Excellent. 
Well, very good. Well, Mick, thank you so much for, for coming on Focused on Forward today. I'm, I'm so glad to have said that you have been a guest and thank you for sharing your story. It's not always easy to talk about ourselves and the things that we've gone through in life, but I think it's also a helpful thing, not only for us, but for those who get to identify with parts of our story. Thank you so much for having me. This All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today for Focused on Forward. Thanks for listening. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.